Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome, everyone. We are um, a group that, feel free to sit up here if you need to. Anybody? There's another Christian. And there's another Christian here. Yeah. So we have um, officially grown out of our sacred roots space for a half day. (laughs) And um, next time we'll be seeing you in a larger space with the garden. And and this is such a joyful thing. I'm Wendy, for those of you who I haven't met. Um, It's really been our wish to gather a community to practice deeply. Um, practice concentration and mindfulness together. Uh, Casey and I both know that this is not an alone practice. It's not a solitary practice completely. Community is a big factor in the awakening process. And um, to have something here in the Long Beach area, close to Orange County, where a lot of us live is so precious and wonderful. And so I kind of see this as a real beginning for deepening our practice together and spending more time. So I'm thrilled. And uh, this is like a a big uh, Christmas gift or something, you know, to unfold and unpack over time, how we can join together as community to really go to that well within, that deep place within, and cultivate it together. Um, for some of you, this was not an easy sit, right? It was hard to concentrate and focus. Um, our minds are really designed through evolutionary process to be pulling in stimuli from everywhere and jumping around. Yeah? And so, this practice of concentration is really breaking a lot of huge habits. And it can be um, daunting at times. So if you had a little bit of a judge or critic or disappointment, let that go. Let that go. Um, The beauty of concentration practice is more about waking up and knowing with mindfulness that your mind wandered off your object. And um, that's the real, there's more. (laughs) Who knows what will happen next. (laughs) So the beauty of it is that you woke up and you knew with mindfulness that your mind took the train to another station. You know that train? I'm from New York, so we had a lot of trains. And we have A trains, B trains, C and D. It goes all the way up to G and H. And the mind is like uh, being in uh, Grand Central Station or Pennsylvania Station. You meant to get on the A train, but you were on the D train going to Staten Island, but you meant to go to Westchester or Queens, right? Um, this is what our minds are like, yeah? where we need to stay focused on one thing, and the next thing, you're back in 1976, if you were alive then, uh, having tea with Aunt Mary, who insulted you. Now, how did you get there? 
It's a mystery, right? <laughs> it is a mystery. One unsolvable mystery that happens every day and all the time. So it's a beautiful gift. It's precious to come together to work with concentration. And the definition of concentration um, in the Theravadan approach is um, indestructibility. Indistractability. It's also indestructibility. I'll, I'll explain that one. Indistractability and gathering together and unifying the mind. So it's about unification. And we call it samadhi, samadhi practice in Pali. Um, very worthy of our time to unify, to get to, to experience becoming one pointed in our awareness. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. So in Indian religions, and I started my meditation practice, I think like 40 years ago now. Don't tell anyone that it was 40 years ago, but it was 40. Um, in the Hindu tradition, so Kashmir, Shaivism, Vedanta, a lot of those paths, um, samadhi is really defined as the ultimate state, the ultimate liberation. When you have unified and organized your mind, your mind becomes so one-pointed and still that in that tradition, that is the awakening process. Um, and in um, the Theravadan tradition, um, that's not the case. This uh, samadhi state, one-pointed state, is a beginning of insight practice. It, it's not the end, it's more like a beginning. And we need it for insight, for wisdom and mindfulness. So we're strengthening this quality uh, for a, a more inclusive, more expansive mindfulness practice um, to deepen wisdom. And in my experience as a meditation student, I have found this approach to be true, um, that um, concentration alone and a unified mind is not enough for the journey. Uh, having experienced many very deep, tranquil states in meditation um, of absolute stability and <coughs> emptiness and peace to get off the cushion and um, want to um, shout at somebody, be irritable, um, crave things, all the defilements come back. Mm -hmm. So we need the wisdom and the mindfulness to take off the cushion um, for the whole journey, for the whole ride. However, this piece is important in getting there. So um, Gil Fransdale likes to remind us, he's a meditation teacher in northern um, California, that the concentration practice is not necessarily a practice in itself, but it's a result of practice. It's what we experience as the mind stills. Um, it's a state of being, and he calls it a sacred temple that we need to approach with care, respect, humility, um, with a good, strong intention and resolve. It's this beautiful resting place. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about present moment awareness, this beingness, as true refuge, as a great refuge 
from all the intensity and storms of our life. So sitting here today, as we focus and come back to the breath and anchor, we're literally creating this beautiful space of refuge in this life that has so much um, intensity and drama and is so demanding of us every day, all these experiences. So um, the thing about cultivating concentration that's tricky is that it has more of a quality of allowing and being present than muscling in and grabbing at it. Did anybody get that experience of trying to muscle your mind to kind of shut up, shut up, get in there, get down in the belly and breathe, right? Pay attention. Um, it's not going to work that way because then we tighten, you know, and we cling, and we'll talk more about how that can work against us. So it's not a grabbing or a pushing or a shoving. It's more like a releasing and opening to this present moment experience. Um, it's kind of like um, this in setting the intention, bringing some effort and patience, and then allowing grace to do its job. <coughs> Surrendering and letting go to it, dissolving into it. It's something very tender, soft, beautiful, and sacred. And it really comes with that open heart, not a pushing. The tendency, um, even in the Theravadan path, um, the deeper states of concentration are called jhanas, and there are like there are eight of them. Already, to me, at the minute I say eight, my body tenses, you know. And can I get an A in number four or five, right? So a lot of times, and Jane and I were on a concentration retreat together a few years ago. People get very um, agitated about getting into a jhana, doing it well, getting to the next one. Um, and it's like they want to get jhana stripes on their arms and you can walk around and say, I got into deep concentration, you know? I think just seeing this as a beautiful gift, that the mind just settles and falls. Um, and it comes and goes, comes and goes. And our work is to cherish it, you know? To give time, to cherish, um, to set that intention, and um, to allow the body and mind to gather. My dad, in the 60s, read something in Good Housekeeping, and uh, he got a jar, and he went out into um, a little grassy area. There wasn't much grass in New York City, I have to tell you, I had to look for it. And he filled the jar with dirt and some water, and he brought it upstairs. And he, they do this in schools now, and he shook the jar. Right, and the jar was all cloudy and filled with dirt. And he said, this is your mind, right? This is your mind all the time. And what do you think it's going to take for the dirt to settle and the water to get clear again? He said, this is how we relax and calm down. That's what he used. But actually, he was giving a very good example of concentration, of unifying the mind, of mindfulness practice. We walk around like that jar with all the dirt in it, right? We're just all over the place and, and awareness is cloudy. 
we're running after our to-do list or our to-do list is running after us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, all sorts of emotions and conflicts are going on. All this worrying is going on. Anxiety is going on. Getting, becoming, doing more, more, more. And we're like that cloudy jar, right? And the breath practice, the mindfulness practice, is this way that we unify, come down into the body, um, and calm. One-pointed, one-pointed. And why do we do that? So, um, as we unify the mind, we stop pushing away our experience, and we stop being so divided up into parts and pieces, you know? Like, uh, in any given day, part of me wants to go to Kohl's to buy something. Part of me doesn't want to spend money on my credit card. Part of me wants to get a gift for somebody. Part of me doesn't want to give a gift to somebody. You ever get that feeling, right? Part of me wants ice cream. Part of me wants to lose weight. Um, Part of me wants to tell my coworker what I really think. Part of me says, be quiet, right? <laughs> uh, we're not really quite unified in there. Did you, did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Um, so this coming into one point is a unification of being. It's this beautiful, sweet stillness. And it's very healing. And it can heal um, wounds and fears and um, hard Places, and I'll give you an example of that a little bit later in the talk. Um, it's also an antidote to anger and hostility, greed, sensual desire, fear, um, things that keep us for and against, you know, blocking parts of ourselves. This kind of thing is a real beautiful settling of the mind, and we'll go into that a little bit more, but I, I totally... Um, understand how this um, concentration samadhi helps um, release greed and desire. It's, it's that I know for sure. And we'll, we'll talk a little more on that point. So um, really what we're doing is um, working towards tranquility and ease and calm. So just like that jar with the water, what starts to happen, and we're talking about in Theravada, we call it access concentration, the first jhana, is that as the mind stills on that one point of the breath, um, there's a tranquility that starts to happen and an ease. And some of you have probably experienced that um, and I'm going to talk about some of these states. And it's, it's brought on by, by um, concentration. And you begin to see the insight that you begin to see when you reach those places is that happiness is an inside job. The tranquility and the joy is, oh, it's in here. It's not out there at the Nordstrom's off the rack. You know, or or getting something, or having something, or being something. There's this sweet joy and peace and ease and calm that's very beautiful 
that is unconditioned by people, places, and things outside of me. It's inside. There's this beautiful garden inside, huh? Insight. That it's in here. Um, so it loosens that grip, that tendency to grab onto things for happiness and joy. Now, some of us are big grabbers, so it's going to take a while. I'm one of them. Um, we're also notice, noticing that things arise and pass, arise and pass. So we're noticing the impermanence of life by um, watching this breath and the movement of the mind. So some of the words um, in, in access concentration is, uh, there's one word called piti, which is um, known as glee or rapture. When you really um, are in concentration practice in a retreat day after day or all day retreat, you literally can reach a place of ecstasy, of just like a drunken, I call it the drunken sailor state. I don't know what other people call it, um, but it's this joy and this rapture, and it's like your heart just, pow, it explodes. Mm -hmm. um, and for some people, it can be uncomfortable to have that much joy and that much um, electricity. It can be very electric. That's the power of a still mind. It can be completely electric, and it could be like a rapture that um, goes beyond, beyond a lot of things. And you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> He's laughing at Thanks, me. Thanks, Wendy. Yes, it does. And, and um, so this rapture from concentration, this still mind, can be like a joy that is beyond any external joy. And that's how we begin to... Um, pierce with insight and wisdom this chasing after things to make us happy, you know, and wanting more to make us happy, and thinking it's outside. You begin to get these experiences of, of it's here within. It's within me. And it's within everybody. Um, another state that is talked about is called sukha. And after that rapture is gone, and that electricity and this ecstatic, beautiful place um, is a softer happiness. It softens a little. There's just this stream and hum of quiet joy, this beautiful peace, like a calm river or a calm stream. Yeah? Um, again, unconditioned. It's not conditioned on people, places, or things. It's this bubbling, soft joy that's uh, just available. And um, after that, and I'm not necessarily going in order of this, but there is also this expansiveness that happens in, in concentration where a lot of people lose their sense of body, of separateness. You really don't have a sense of you as a physical space, but you as a spaciousness that incorporates everything, the room, everyone in it, you know, the heart has no boundaries there. A beautiful feeling, and it's a great insight teaching 
to this um, sense of separate body that we have, separate self. Um, it's very, very beautiful. And it fosters this equanimity and tranquility. So, uh, let's see. So let's talk about some of the things that um, help us get there for a bit. Um, so just like we alluded in the beginning of the meditation to being like a tree, you know, a beautiful, majestic tree, um, I like the image of a big old oak tree. Um, if you notice these beautiful, old, majestic trees, they don't get knocked down so easy, huh? Big storms come and go. The wind comes, the winds of greed, hatred, pain, suffering, loss, death, delusion, delusion, come, and the tree is still standing. Why it has beautiful, deep roots and it's been nourished by the soil and water and the sun. And so our concentration practice is our establishment of deep roots. Right? That's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're rooting ourselves in awareness. So we become firm and steady like that tree. And when the winds of life come, and for sure they will, right? We aren't knocked over. We're centered, we're anchored, we're developing that equanimity. And that's why we practice, as difficult as it is, that's why we practice concentration, steadiness. Yeah? So um, that's why we sit here. Um, if we were on an all-day retreat, uh, we would be sitting and walking all day. If you were on a 10-day retreat, you do that day after day. You're anchoring. You're developing those strong roots in awareness. You won't get so knocked over by the next monsoon or hurricane. Yeah? You're here. It's learning to be here. So, so what are the seeds? What, are, what nourishes this practice? What do we need for this practice? Um, and uh, one is we need um, we need some ethics and morality um, in our practice. We talk about um, an ethical conduct, a, um, a grounded, sane way of being. And um, the other things that we need are um, compassion for ourselves, gentleness. Because you'll have so many sitting times that our, your mind is just not going to land. The mind's going to just go a little wild and it's not going to feel like you got anywhere. Um, or you really want to focus on that breath and you want to experience access concentration, the first jhana, and it doesn't happen that day. Aunt Mary's in your head way too much. You can't get her out. We don't know why. Um, this is where we need compassion for ourselves and patience, softening to ourselves, kindness to ourselves, and letting ourselves off the hook. You know, um, a lot of this is about letting go and letting it happen on its own time, mm -hmm. just showing up for the practice. So we need enormous amounts of loving kindness and compassion to ourselves. This is the fertilizer and the soil, yeah? The water and the soil. We need um, patience. 
We need patience. Um, when I was teaching uh, beginner classes here a few years back, and my partner and I, Brad, we were teaching the <coughs> beginner's course, and we looked at each other and we realized that the way we settle our minds, he and I, were very similar. We just sat the mind out. You know, we, we know that if we sit the we both had, this is our experience, we both knew that if you sit long enough with patience, like the jar, your mind will still and drop. And so a lot of our practice was just sitting till the mind stopped. And at that time, we were both sitting like 40, 45 minutes, and the beginners would go, oh my God, I could never sit that long. And we would laugh because we would say, no, we need to sit that long because we don't know when the water, the dirt will settle in the water, when it will drop. But we know that we could just sit it out. If we're patient, we'll, we'll sit out the mind, right? And in, in taking this stance, there's insight there, right? Because it's not so much my mind, my practice, my tranquility, my jhana, you know, my clear mind, my empty jar. It's just the mind doing its thing. I'm going to wait you out, dear. All minds, right? All minds are like this. It's not about me. There isn't a self in here. So patience is very important. And the cultivation of dropping into this moment, present moment awareness, allowing ourselves to have this now as it is now, right now, now in this moment, moment by moment. It's a beautiful refuge to cultivate. On Friday, I got a phone call after my day of work was over um, that my mother needed to go to the hospital. Friday afternoon in the middle of rush hour, and I was two hours away um, from her, and I had to get in the car and drive for two hours in rush hour, not knowing how she was. And um, this is where you know practice counts, right? It's those hard times, those hard moments, because the whole Friday evening after a day of work, going to emergency room, driving two hours, you know, the whole thing, it was just this moment. It was just now, now, this moment. Nothing existed but this present moment. And when we can practice this way in our lives, here, now, this moment, anchoring the mind just in this present moment, it isn't so overwhelming or difficult. It's just the next thing, next moment, next thing, next exit on the freeway, right? That's all it is. It's one more exit on the freeway. And we get to see, in other words, we're moving towards insight, how much the mind is telling a story about life mm -hmm. that is a story. It's proliferated, proliferation of the mind, right? Mm -hmm. It's an imagined story versus landing in the moment and allowing it to unfold as it actually is. So a couple of more sentences about, um, I don't know, maybe there's more than a couple of sentences. Let's see what happens here. I want to talk a little bit about what gets in the way <coughs> are the hindrances in um, Theravadan 
Buddhism, we talk a lot about the hindrances. And um, I have actually had a hindrance to the hindrance. I don't like being told that there's a part of me that gets in the way of me. Like already I have aversion to that. Um, so, and I'm just going to touch on this very briefly and then we'll stop. The biggest one that gets in the way of concentration practice is wanting and desire. And um, we call it greed, but greed to me is a very negative kind of connotation. It, it's just we're born wanting and desiring, right? And, and that's part of survival. I want my mother's milk, I want warmth, I want body contact, I want to be seen. These are all things we need for survival. I need safety. So our consciousness is imbued with wanting, wanting more, a desire, desire. And then um, we're conditioned by our culture to really believe the next moment is going to be better, right? When I get that, it will all be better. I will be a better me when that all comes in place and I have the things I want. We're in this hypnosis about the future will be better, I'll feel better. It could be anything from a good cup of dark blend coffee and a donut, right? That will be better, right? Or it will be better when I don't have to work so much and I can retire, or I get that vacation, or um, I go to the chiropractor and, and my back pain is better. It's always going to be better in a moment outside of this one. So we're spending our lives lunging and racing into the future as a habit, as a cultural habit, right? Some of you might even be doing, when will she stop talking, right? It will be better, right? <laughs> yeah? You know, um, when will they ring the bell? I'll feel better. Right? So, um, and I experienced that on Friday evening. Uh, after the end of that, I had this image of um, getting off the freeway, getting in my bed, putting on mundane TV, and it will be better. And what I realized was, that's an illusion. It's better when I stop telling a story of what's better. That's when it's better. <laughs> I let go of my desire for something, right? The other side of that is called aversion. It's saying, no, I don't want this, whatever is here now, I don't want that. I'm saying no to my experience, right? I'm pushing and rejecting it away. Well, when we're pushing and rejecting, we're already divided and separate and compartmentalized. And this, too, is habituated. This, too, is a societal, cultural habit of mind. To say, no, I like it, I want it differently, I don't want it that way, I want it better. You know, and um, I want it different. And it creates this contraction and this holding, this gripping, this hunkering down, and we all have it. So this contraction in the body gets in the way of, um, of stillness, of ease, of tranquility. We rob ourselves of tranquility. We don't need a thief to come and rob us. We have robbed us. You know? And a lot of our aversion is quite unnecessary when you think of it. Some of our aversion to me, I mean, I have some real aversive, fearful moments in a, 
you know, we all do. And, and hey, that's life, right? We're dealing with heavy things. But a lot of our aversion is completely of the fictional, petty kind. So it's bringing this awareness, this concentrated mind can uproot these hindrances. And as we uproot them, we go deeper in the jhanas, deeper into concentration and tranquility. The others are sleepiness and laziness, right? I don't want to wake up, I'm sleepy, and we could talk more about that, how to work with that. It's pretty normal. Restlessness and anxiety. Um, some of us have swallowed a Mexican jelly bean at birth. Remember those dancing jelly beans? <laughs> da, 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 da. And we're just restless, you know, we're just itchy to move, to be. Um, and uh, that's something we need to work with on the cushion and off the cushion. Again, landing in here and now, allowing now to be now. It's a beautiful practice. And the last one is doubt. Doubt is about uh, why did I sign up for this? I could have gone to yoga, taken a walk on the beach, and gotten a massage, right? <laughs> what, what am I doing here? This is, forget this. My mind, I can't sit still. Um, so a friend of mine signed up for a three-day retreat because we had been reading about mindfulness at work, and she's really excited. And um, for several weeks, she'd been telling us a lot about what she thought mindfulness was, and I'm sitting and just nodding and I'm nodding. And she went on the three-day retreat, and she came back and she said, um, why would anybody do that to themselves? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea why I would torture myself that way again. I'm never going back, you know, right? So doubt can be very corrosive on the path to awakening. It can really veer us off which is why we need that faith and that patience. So I'll say one more brief thing about concentration practice, and then I'll stop. And one of the most, the deepest and most meaningful experience I've ever had on my meditation path in these 40 years um, was one of the first Vipassana meditation retreats um, I went on. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it was. Um, Three-day retreat and um, got introduced to the Vipassana concentration practice. And we um, sat from, it seemed like, 7 in the morning to 7 at night. It was a really long, intense practice. And I did have some doubt about how cold and difficult this was and why are we just sitting, walking, sitting, walking without a break? Can't we sing a song or chant or light a candle or have a ritual or, you know? It just seemed to go on and on. And um, after the retreat, I was scheduled to go and help my mother. My mother was moving from Las Vegas to L.A. And she'd been living far away from us, and she was older, more frail, and she needed help unpacking her home. And I figured, hey, you know, I've just been sitting for three days. I'll just go over after the retreat, and I'll help her. And the history of that relationship, my mother and I, is a hard one, a difficult one, from ground zero. 
um, we were not simpatico at all. We had a lot of pain and suffering in this relationship, um, and it never seemed to go well throughout our lifespan. It was a ridiculously hard relationship to crack. Um, and she felt the pain of it, I felt the pain of it, and the resentments were there like big walls, like the Berlin Wall or something, the Wall of China between us. And um, I innocently left the retreat, got in the car, drove on the freeway to the other side of LA, which is always seems to be where she is, the other side of LA, and um, pulled up and I knocked on the door, she opened the door. And because my mind had been so concentrated for three days and was so still, when she opened the door, I saw this woman, not my story of this woman, just this woman. And my heart flew open. And for the first time, I could be with her in complete love without a story, complete forgiveness, complete heartfelt care. It was such a beautiful gift, and she felt it. She had been waiting to be released and forgiven, waiting all these years for my heart, and she got it. So this is the beauty of a concentration practice of practice. The mind seals, the heart opens, the story drops away, and forgiveness arises without our doing. It's mm. present. And this is where true love resides. This is where love of others, love of being resides. And the interesting thing about that moment, the thing that breaks my heart as I tell the story over and over again, I remember that moment, she felt this sunshine, this warmth, and this happiness to have this loving presence. And unconsciously, she was unpacking all her stuff, was all over the room. She had actually a soapstone sculpture of the Buddha that my dad had gotten from an antique store in the 60s. And she turned very intuitively and unconsciously and handed it to me and said, it's yours. I don't need it anymore. And that was sort of my yes. This practice, this practice has merit. This practice has worth. It's worth the work. Um, and I've never looked back in the practice since, right? That was my moment of faith. So, restless mind, clinging mind, agitated mind, shopping mind, critical mind, whatever mind state found you this morning and brought you here, it's all grist for the mill. We're here. We're practicing for this beautiful shining state of mind, a clear mind, an empty mind, a mind free of all of its story, all of its hindrance, all of its stuff. So hard, easy, medium, soft, sleepy, whatever it is, welcome, and keep practicing. So just take a moment at this moment, maybe closing our eyes, 
and finding the breath. opening our hearts, just seeing the sun radiating in the area of the heart. Beautiful rays of the sun right in your own heart, in your own being. And sending this warmth, this radiating beautiful warmth. Allowing it to encompass all of your body, your being. Holding yourself with kindness, with care and appreciation. How you've made it through all the difficulties. How you've trudged this path called life. And holding yourself in the warmth of the heart of appreciation for you for your effort, for your frailties, for every little nook and cranny of discomfort. For hindrance, for whatever. And then drawing the sun, the rays of the sun, this heart, this beautiful loving heart, reaching it out across this room to everyone in this room wishing to awaken, wishing to be well, to be at peace and ease. Sending them this warmth, this acceptance, this sweet love, and moving out beyond this room to all beings, to people you know who are suffering, to places of strife and war, to all beings, without picking, without choosing, all sentient beings radiating this beautiful love this care and kindness. May all beings be safe and free of harm. May all beings have shelter and food, warmth and care. May all beings have peace and ease in their lives. May all beings be free of internal suffering and external suffering. May all beings be free.
You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.